Welcome to episode 200 of the Bad Wolf Podcast, a special celebratory episode where neither Pete or Jared are involved. But anyway, they're not the talent of this podcast, are they? So joining me on this very auspicious occasion is a good friend of mine called Sam Michael. Sam, hello. I didn't realise it was 200. Wow. Yeah, episodical 200. Oh, suddenly the pressure is on. (laughs) How are you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm great. Yeah, really, really excited for this. Yeah, we're going to talk about the 1996 Doctor Who Paul McGann TV movie. Planet Earth 1999. He's back and it's about time. Who are you? I am the Doctor. In the fight for eternity. By midnight tonight, this planet will be pulled inside out. There can only be one master. I never liked this planet, Doctor. Paul McGann is Doctor Who. Don't panic! Everything is under control! Monday, the 27th of May on BBC One. I'm not going to give any synopsises because I'm assuming that if anybody's listening to a review of the 1996 Doctor Who movie, then they have seen it. Yes, I would say so. So, Sam, you were really excited when I asked you on to come and talk about this. Yes, I was. Yes, I was. Right. Paul McGann was your Doctor, He was, and it's not many people who can say that. There's, I don't think, um, you know, ever since the show's come back in 2005, uh, and obviously with the rise of the internet, I've got to know many people who are fans, and obviously people, when I was younger, and and I like only a couple of us at school really liked it i mean in the 90s there was so much for kids telly there was uh, you know you, you had power rangers um you had teenage mutant ninja turtles biker maestro mars all these really cool shows it was a really cool time to be a kid in the 90s and i was seven years old when doc 2 came out and it, it got a bit of interest you know it was st- it's still only been six seven years since the series had ended so it was still kind of known with people but nothing to the scale it is now you know with children and adults today it's very well known very mainstream and um these days you know you don't go very far without bumping into uh into a doctor who fan the majority of these doctor who fans i come across now are either real dedicated to the classic series their favorite doctor is tom baker peter davison uh, or they're very much uh, with children when the show returns so therefore they've got a lot of love for christopher eccleston uh, david tennant matt smith capaldi and even jodie whittaker today but there's not many i think you have to be in a particular bracket which is what i'm in to have paul mcgann as your doctor yeah, I was about 14, I think, in 1996, okay. and my I've got very vague memories of Sylvester McCoy mm. back in the day, like really fractured memories. Um, I think it was about eight when they cancelled it. So I remember seeing like the He's Back and It's About Time trailers mm. and posters on bus stops and phone boxes. And I remember thinking, oh, I should, I should watch this Doctor Who program that my parents and everyone keep talking about. Yeah. And then I just forgot. <laughs> and this was back in the day where you couldn't just watch it yeah like there was no iplayer there was barely the internet and if you missed something you just missed it Mm. so i didn't actually see the tv movie until after 2005 where the first series came out on blu-ray okay that's interesting Uh, sorry blu-ray dvd yeah is it mainly the new series that that made you a fan would you say or were you were you a fan before it came back no strictly new series really because you know, the difficulty, I, I don't think a lot of classic fans understand the difficulty of being a Doctor Who fan when the show first came back mm. is you want to dip your toe in classic Who. Yeah. 
but where the hell do you start? That's true. And they yeah. weren't releasing DVDs in order at that time. They were just releasing the ones they knew would sell right away. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to get this Tom Baker thing where he's in the middle of his reign with companions I don't know. It doesn't explain their backstory. It doesn't mm. explain how they met. What's in this for me? So when I wanted to dip my toe into Classic Who, it was the 1996 movie I went to. Okay, that that's cool. And that's quite interesting because it's kind of a... I mean, this is... I'm only repeating what everyone said before is that it's a bridge between the old series and the new series. Absolutely. I mean, going from my experience, Doctor I was allowed... I first watched it when I was three years old. I was allowed to stay up late for a treat. My dad said, you can stay up late tonight. So I used to watch Thunderbirds because they used to repeat it on BBC Two on, I think, Tuesday nights in the very, very early 90s. And I was allowed to stay up and watch that. And I'd go to bed about half six, seven o'clock. And then my dad said, you can stay up tonight and you can watch Doctor Who. My first introduction to Doctor Who is the biggest head fuck ever because my first episode was the um the mind robber oh wow which as you know is absolutely insane it is it, still to this day is one that sticks out so far as like if you want an example of 60s doctor who to the point where everyone must have been on lsd that's the episode so that was my introduction to it and i absolutely <laughs> i mean they've just all been at the bbc bar yeah, exactly. And it's and it so weird because it was in black and white and I just thought it was this black and white show. And I'd never seen black and white telly before, I don't think, till this was shown to me. And then it was the last episode I watched, the very last episode that happened to be on. And then what they were doing is because it was coming up to the 30th anniversary, they were repeating old episodes. So the next one I watched was um, The Sea Devils. So I watched all that from start to finish. Uh, so from that on, I was absolutely hooked. Uh, I loved the shows and free repeats and uh, my parents buying me videos as I became more and more into it for a good couple of years i was introduced to i'm pretty sure all the doctors i think i had at least one video that had each doctor in no i always thought it was just this great show that wasn't on anymore that was it it was a show that existed and there were seven doctors and when i said to my parents why are there not more they just said because there isn't that was it it was a show that was on and now it's finished fair enough and then suddenly i remember watching uh, cbbc and them having a guest on it might have been on blue peter or something like that they had someone come on i have no idea who this guy was it could have been clayton hickman but some guy who had nothing to do with the actual production of the film just came on and started talking about that it was coming back and there was going to be a new doctor and a new master and it was just like wow brilliant it's back you know what this week for research for this i was watching youtube clips mm. of the premiere of the tv movie mm -hmm. and it's amazing how many people i spotted there that are now big in the doctor who world oh really yeah like joe lidster who's a writer yep. for like tortured and sarah jane adventures he walks past in the background like he went to the screening okay and it's just yeah it's really interesting to see like the people like clayton hickman and stuff like that. people that have gone on to become an authority in Doctor Who it's just it's, it was kind of a nice nostalgia trip as well I mean it, it is amazing and I think it was it felt and I'm thinking about this now as an adult at the time I was a kid so therefore I just knew that this show that I loved and, and had the videos to and had little day pole figures of I don't know if you remember these things little day pole there's a little Welsh railway um, toy railway company. They used to have the rights to Doctor Who figures. I've heard of them. I've seen them online, but I never had one myself. Still got a load somewhere, but they were, they were bless them, they were rubbish. They were, they were sweet, <laughs> but they were so bad. Yeah, you know, I had, I was this thing that was coming back and it was going to be cool. But I imagine at the time, and I think in my preparation for for um, for the for today's episode, I 
had a little look on YouTube to see what people make of the show. And I got, um, you know, you don't have to go very far on YouTube to see people reviewing things. And do you know Stewbag Fool? The, um, oh, yeah, I follow him. Oh, yeah, Twitter, I, mean, yeah. He, I love his work on, on YouTube. And I watched, I think he did a, a collaboration with someone for the TV movie. And he's very much a classic Who fan. And he doesn't, he has, he has a lot of negative to say about it. And in fact, I really struggled to find anybody who said anything very positive about it, which I think is a bit of a shame because... I really, really love it. And for every negative comment someone has about it, and trust me, there are a lot, I think I can bat them back. Because I think one issue was is that I don't think people expected it to be how it was. I think, uh, you know, if you look at the very last series, season 26, um, and it ended, and you actually think nowadays, as you get older, the, the gap between the end of the series in 1989 and, and 1996, it's only seven years. It's really actually not that long. And I think there were a couple of things that were quite good on telly at the time, off the top of my head, and people might laugh at these examples. But if you think of, of like on the BBC, there was like a show called Bugs. CBBC were doing quite good kid shows that were sci-fi, things like Aquila, which is a brilliant right, show yeah. about two kids. BBC two were showing star trek the next generation exactly yeah so I, I, there were a lot of so british made they were quite they were good they were a lot better than doc two was in the 80s so i think people started to think great we're gonna get this we're gonna get this updated bbc production and then i think it came out that it's going to be an american production so then people thought okay well then there's time sliders star cops uh, and like you said, Star Trek, the next generation. So surely it's going to be like this. And I think what they got was less Star Trek and more Due South. Do you remember that show? Oh, I love that. That was just the right level of cheesiness. But, but that is, I think, if I think of any show to compare that 1996 TV movie to, it's Due South. It feels like it feels like early Saturday evening television, um, that that 1996 TV movie, if it had gone to a full series, and of course the movie was supposed to be a pilot for an American slash British series, I think it would have sat on a sort of six o'clock on a, on a Saturday night. And there are rumors that Jew South used to sit in that role, the kind of, you know, quirky, humored anti-hero sat in that slot, keeping it warm for Doctor Who. That's just a rumor I heard. But that's the kind of style you, I think you get from it. It feels more adult than it should in places as well. The way things play out, the romance, for example, which today we're very used to. We're, we're used to the kind of the adult theme. The adult theme in the new series is a lot more than it was in the old series. And it's it's quite interesting to see how it all played out. Um, and I think it, I think if anything, it took it took the fans back then by surprise. And I don't think they were quite prepared for what they got, which is probably why it does get a bit of a negative backlash today. Because I think for for old school Doctor Who fans, it's too america it's too hollywood and it's too out there but i think if they revisit it today like a lot of people do they they're, they're a little bit more soft on it because of the amount of americanization we get in the new series the amount of romance we get in the new series the sexual innuendo the, the adult themes and stuff suddenly the, the 1996 tv movie doesn't stick out like a sore thumb like it used to before the new series returned so i watched this about two weeks ago with my fiance who had no idea it existed she had no idea paul mcgann was ever the doctor yeah she said something really interesting when we were watching it okay and she said it feels like a bunch of british people that have watched american tv but have never worked in america have tried to make what they think American TV is. Well, she's not. <laughs> I thought that was odd, but I looked into it's it. It's true, and she's a hundred percent correct. <laughs> and after like decades of fans screaming, "Oh, the Americans ruined it! The Americans ruined it! Mm. The Americans ruined it!" The director was British. The writer was British. The commissioning guy at Fox was British. 
Jeffrey Sachs, okay, he was born in America, yeah. but he was raised in the UK. So everybody behind the scenes with the creative involvement were British. Mm. They all lived and worked in America. But yeah, everyone involved was British. Well, I, I think that's, that is interesting. I do think there was probably some pressure on them from above to say it's got to have this, this and that. It's got to appeal to an American audience. But I do feel like they kind of took that the wrong way and went, okay, we want to impress the Americans. Uh, so... Let's, uh, and I'm sure we'll get into the nitty gritty details of the story in a minute, but they'll go, what do Americans like? They like the Terminator. So let's have a scene of Eric Roberts as the master in a leather jacket, walking very slowly and talking in a very monotone voice. And then let's not have him do that ever again, because we can tick that off now. You know, in a a bit, he's going to be very flamboyant and danced around. But just for one scene, let's have him like the T2, uh, you know, and have him walk up. And then... There's another bit they'll go, right, we need uh, something for the Americans. That's put in a car chase, an unnecessary car chase. You're right. It is exactly that. It is like they went, right, we've got a nice British, you know, we've got a nice Doctor Who story here. Now let's sex it up for the Americans. The thing about this film is the plot kind of works mechanically, like it gets you from A to B, Mm. but it doesn't really work logically if you look at it. Like you say, it's like the master's this and then he's this. There's no explanation as to how he became this or that. Uh, Did you know the BBC were insisting that they use Tom Baker in this? I did hear that he was originally supposed to be in the role of it, yeah. I was talking to Billy Garrett-John about this not long ago. We met up around Christmas, had a few drinks, and as we always do, we end up on the subject of Doctor Who, to the dismusement of our friends. Um, If we're out and there's other people, they just sort of have to leave us to it and we'll just go on a rant about Doctor Who. And we, we both agreed, like, it feels like this movie now don't be wrong i really do love it and again billy was kind of too young when it came out didn't quite get it but we both agree that it feels like it's just one or two rewrites away from being a really good doctor who episode yeah i kind of feel like you're right there i mean i believe chang would call the ambulance for the doctor but it's Mm. like why is he going to the hospital well he's going to the hospital because he needs to meet the master why has he got to meet the master because he needs to get in the tardis why does he need to get in the tardis because and yeah, it just doesn't work. And I kind of hate Grace's boyfriend in this. He's like, he's so unreasonable. It's like, yeah. you know, she's a heart surgeon who is on call. How can you get pissed off of her when she gets called into work? Uh, exactly. And it's not like it's an argument. It's like he he, get, he rolls his eyes and you don't hear much about him, do we? We um, His name's Greg, I think. And we... Uh, yeah, something like that. Oh, so I might have got that wrong, actually. Uh, but basically, he... He kind of rolls. He kind of rolls um, his eyes because she gets called away from the uh, fr- from the opera, which people always complain about. They go, "Oh, look, she's at the opera." Therefore, she yeah, she's at the opera. This film's only ninety minutes long or less. Let them just quickly try and do something cheap to get her and say, "Look, she likes this. Let's go." You know, um, I, I think it's great. I think the setup when she's she's in the uh, the op- um, in the opera she she shows her tears shows she's emotional i think it a lot of people complain about that scene but i think it's really really nice and then it has her running down the corridor and performing the surgery in her ball gown yeah you're right but going back to the character of a boyfriend what's amazing is she leaves the hospital the next day and he's moved everything out of the apartment and I think, on new year's eve yeah on new year's well. eve who did he get to do that i mean i know in america they don't take that whole christmas period that mm. seriously but surely you'd struggle yeah, 
Well, I think we, we've touched on a good thing now, which is the, the stuff that doesn't make sense. So let's, I, I think maybe I'm going to get that all out of the way now because I'm not, I absolutely love it. I think this is in my definitely my top five favorite Doctor Who stories of all time. Um, but I absolutely understand it's got its flaws and it's, I'm more biased towards liking it because in the same way that some people love crap episodes like love and monsters and um well you know going on a different tangent i think doctor who series two with david tennant is the worst series in the history of the show and oh, I'm with i you. genuinely don't know how the show wasn't cancelled i remember when it came back and there was uh, do you remember new earth and when it ended i went what a shame we've just got doctor who back and they're going to cancel it now this is awful and then i admit there were some good episodes in series two but ultimately i thought it was so bad i felt the subtlety of got had gone i thought it was too played for laughs i mean love and monsters and i mean but little did i know that actually coming into the series two it would be a massive success and people still today consider that their favorite series and that's understandable because they were kids when they watched it they were six and seven and now they're 20 years old and they're writing for doctor who magazine and they're very fond of this series and i go well actually that's the same as me a lot of people just dismissed the 1996 tv movie as a bit of a joke but for me i was seven years old and it was amazing you know i lived for that moment and i was and i'm absolutely biased towards it but of course i do know as we're talking about now it does have its negatives as we mentioned grace's boyfriend and the lee situation as well which is really funny that, that we don't hear much of like why he's in these gang wars what they were going for is he was a bad person with a good heart and mm. he just needed to be steered in the right direction but i mean and maybe that would have been expanded on in the series but like this script like we said it focuses on where the characters need to be yeah. and not how they get there yeah I, I just think the gun thing's a bit extreme even for america it's like because because lee is so easily manipulated by the master he, he he's so kind of feeble for the rest of it that it had it been like maybe a fist fight it might been un- a bit more un- understandable but it's a full <laughs> like gun war with oh yeah he's not a naive guy he's he's very street smart and yeah. then he's really gullible because he needs to be because the script needs him to get to the master yeah and it, it's stuff like that and you're right with him calling the ambulance and you know realistically he'd call the ambulance a run because he's he's a suspect with what's just happened and and the other thing that they forget as well is is that you know his two friends get shot and killed oh yeah completely they gloss over that <laughs> do they just leave them there <laughs> because they put the doctor in the ambulance and drive him away and they're just like hey kid you better have money you better be rich because where he's going he's go-. and you think where are the other two gone surely he i goes- guess maybe maybe the police would have had to come for those two because they were already dead so they would have to investigate before the bodies could be moved but if they're his friends you thought he'd stick with them rather than stick with. yeah exactly (laughs) it doesn't didn't know the doctor had anything on him that was worth taking so what do you make about sylvester mccoy's inclusion in this uh good i think it was i think it was the right one i think a lot of people said i know for example russell t davis made the decision in the new series not to have paul mcgann perform in the first five minutes and die and i think that is fair because he says you're not going to get the emotion out of um out you're not going to care about paul mcgann paul mcgann you know for example if, if you think of the episode of uh rose had it been Paul McGann who, who did the whole run, run down the corridor, and then let's say, you know, he says, nice to meet you, Rose, I'm the doctor, run for your life. Had that then stopped, the place explodes with him inside, and then he regenerates into Christopher Eccleston. It'd be intriguing, but I don't think we would, it would make, miss it up. We, we'd think, well, what the hell's going on? Who was that guy? Absolutely. It wouldn't work. So I understand why Russell Taylor didn't do that. However, in this, I think it works quite well, because I think it's a really good um, performance by 
Sylvester McCoy. I like that he doesn't say much. He's this very mysterious person. The whole first couple of scenes of him in the TARDIS, he doesn't say anything, really. I think he says, there, that will do it. I love this version of McCoy, and I love the TARDIS. You know what? I want more big finish stories set with this era of Sylvester McCoy. I agree. I mean, we were getting a darker Doctor anyway. I I think it was the right decision to include him, because it had only been seven years since the last show, so to just start with McGann out of nowhere, I think would have been a bit of a disservice. You know, Sylvester McCoy said he did enjoy doing it. He said it was a good day out filming and he got paid a lot to do it. Um, so good on him. But And he got to go to Canada. He did. And it was a very dignified performance. I think it was brilliant. And, and we'd got this dark doctor towards in a series 26. And suddenly here he was and he's very dark. And you like, he, do, he does a lot without saying much. And so when he does die, we don't get this. In a way, it's one of my favorite deaths because he doesn't get all that gubbins of it's the end or... I'm now to change. You know, these days, if when the Doctor dies, it takes two episodes for him to die. In the older, even in the older series, you still get the the gubbins and the bullshit of now a time to change, and you know, touching the companion's face and all the the last. Bit. And I understand why they do that. It's it's the actor's last hurrah. They have to do that. But there is something nice about him just being shot and just dying and it's I, I think it's a little bit strong for kids i remember being horrified by this because i'd been used to this very british very fun fun sylvester mccoy the only i had two videos at the time of doctor who one was Dragonfire, and one was remembrance of the daleks back when sylvester mccoy in his gray suit was very jolly and jumping around and suddenly the show sure. starts and Sylvester McCoy's in it, in this very scary-looking TARDIS. I remember when I was younger, I was quite scared of the TARDIS. It's an amazing set, absolutely amazing. But I was scared of it. I thought it looked really creepy. And suddenly there's Sylvester McCoy, and I'm thinking, where's Ace? Where's where's What's this? Why is he not juggling? Why is he not playing the spoons? And it just, I, I remember it, the first 10 or 15 minutes of that, show, of that episode, I remember very clearly watching it as a seven-year-old in my mum and dad's room in their bedroom because they had a big telly and they were downstairs i watched it on my own sat on their bed and i was just sat rigid for the first 15 minutes terrified because it was it was almost like dr who saying to its viewers wait you know grow up this is going to get really intense now you know you'd gone from the doctor dying of radiation or dying of uh, you know a fall or something to do with the master and here he was getting shot and then having surgery where his legs are kicking out it's quite graphic his death it is and it's also kind of poetic seventh doctor was always like the master manipulator who knew what what was going to happen he knew the outcomes of this and that yeah and he didn't think to check the scanner before he left the yeah, TARDIS. that's that's bizarre isn't it it's a it is a bit out of character but i think many occasions we've seen the doctor land on earth and not bother to look outside you know he only ever checks the atmosphere if he's on a new planet so Plenty of times we've seen him land on Earth and just pop out the door, especially in like Peter Davison's season. He'd just go straight out and, you know, ah, Earth, it's all fine. So I don't mind that too much. But I think as well that a lot of the story is about the regeneration, which I think is quite good. You know, the fact that he has that post-regeneration amnesia, I think that works quite well because as he's rediscovering himself as the Doctor, we're kind of rediscovering the show. It's very meta in that way. Not only have we got a new Doctor, we've got a new show and i think that's what they were trying to sort of do in the way that the old the classic series doctors one to seven were dead and here we had this new guy and he kind of going right well what is this this is not only am i you know not only are they trying to they're sort of telling the story of 
hear that this is a new era of Doctor Who. Unfortunately, we never got to see the full article, but it's it, I think it's a very interesting thing. Yeah, there's there's a I mean there's a lot of cheesy bits as I said, and it's, it's very uh, 90s in some areas, but I think that just adds to its charm now. You know, in the same way. Oh, it's very 90s. Yeah, yeah. you know, in, in the same way now we look at episodes of the 70s, and on some planet they're all wearing flares and they're all kind of you know, and everyone goes. You know, at the time, everyone, oh, no, that's a bit naff. But now when you look back, you go, yeah, it's the 70s. I like it. I, I never mind anything that dates Doctor Who, especially if it's set on Earth. I remember someone was complaining about See Her or whatever it is, the one with the London Olympics. And they go, oh, sure. man, that is bad. You know, you've got this Shane Ward poster on. and it's. But I actually quite like it because it's of its time. So it's I'm, I'm always fine with that. Sort of a cab nostalgia to Ooh. it, yeah. Which is the show in a nutshell, really. So it's fine. What do you make of Eric Roberts as the master? I know he divides fans. I love him. I think he's really good. I think they, I think they, again, I mean, this all comes down to the, the thing that I've, I've said for many years, which I think it's one or two rewrites away. Had they had, you know, the, the Virgin writers at the time, the likes of, uh, you know, Clayton Hickman, who was doing the, the magazine, Russell T. Davis, Stephen Moffat, had, had they had access to one of them as like a co-writer, it would have been great for them to come in and got one of the Virgin Media um, novel people to come in and go like, do you know what? Actually, let's just shave this bit off. Let's get rid of this. Let's get rid of that. I think you would have had a really good show. And one of those things would have been to just just kind of edit the, the master a little bit because they try and do too many things with him. I think to begin with, he's kind of a devil. They, tr- you know, when he, I, li- I really like it when, he he transforms and he snaps the wife wife's neck. I, I could accept that because it's almost like he's just regenerated. So I like that thing. I don't like him approaching the woman in the hospital and acting like the Terminator and posing a lot. I don't get that. But after they get in the ambulance with him, with when uh, Grace and the doctor get in the ambulance with Lee and the doctor, uh, sorry, with Lee and the master, I think the master is amazing from then on it's some of my favorite master moments of the entire series actually it's one of my favorite scenes is when they're in the um ambulance and she's kind of trying to tell the master thinking he's bruce the ambulance guy look the doctor's mental because he's telling me all these things he's done in history and as he's doing it the master is kind of actually taking it verbatim and going i hate it when he shows off like this and you get this old school master doctor relationship back because he's getting a little bit annoyed with, oh, yeah, of course he met him. He always does that, doesn't he? Oh, he loves meeting all these Earth people. Oh, he loves that, doesn't he? And there's a really nice moment when she, she goes, I bet I've forgotten who they're talking about. But she goes, you'll be telling me you met such and such next. And he goes, well, I did meet her. And she says, did she kiss as good as me? And the master interrupts us go and says, as well as you. He corrects her on her English, which I just think is so <laughs> excellent. That's just the master in a nutshell. It just is fantastic. It's this evil guy who we can, we've seen is capable of bad things in this body, in this form he's got. But he's so quick to just correct her on her English because he doesn't like that. You know, he's like, as well as you. And it, you, know, you know what? I never picked up on it's that. Really, and then the, the bits with him and Lee after that are really good as well. You know, he comes in and goes, well, why aren't we moving? And he goes, well, there's, there's traffic. He goes, this is an ambulance. It's very Anthony Ainley, that. And I like that. And then he, the way he takes things, there's that alien side to him as well. Because people forget that everyone goes, oh, it's great when the Doctor shows this alien side. Well, the Master has to do that as well. I feel like John Sims' Master never did that. I feel like John Sims Master is an evil human. He's simply that. He's a bad human. He's a bad politician. Yeah, I'm with He's you not that. an alien. But Eric Roberts shows sign of being an alien. And even in really quirky ways, like the Doctor does. So it's a bit like, you remember when um, 
Roger Delgado's doctor's watching the clangers and he's going, have you seen this? This is amazing. They communicate through whistling. And the guy oh, goes, yeah, and John Sim does that with a telly. Oh, he does yeah. do that, to be fair, yeah. Oh, no, he just says it's amazing. This is a species. But what's great about Robert Delgado is he, Roger Delgado, sorry, he genuinely thinks that's real for a minute. And he goes that, and then he goes, you do realize it's a kid's show, it's for children. And he goes, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then quickly turns it off. But I think that's great. And it's like when he's with Lee and he, and he goes, um, he said something and it sounds like a joke. So then, cause I think it's nice that they address that the, that the master's being a bit cheesy. He makes a bit of a cheesy line. And then Lee says to him, you kill me. You know, the American, you kill me. And he goes, you want me to kill you? And he goes, no, 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 no. I mean, I mean, you're a funny guy. <laughs> you know, you make me laugh. And he just, I love that. I love that he takes it. You want me to kill you? It's, it's done very well. I know people mock the him coming out and doing, I always dress for the occasion, but it's the master, man. Of course he's going to do that. He's found an old time Lord cloak and he goes, I'm going to gloat in this moment. I'm going to put it on. And that's the one thing I think it, it misses. If we could cut out some of the him being a Terminator and him being an evil devil thing. And we could have had more moments of just him and the doctor one-on-one that would have been really, really nice. Well, I kind of think every decade gets the master that best represents them. Mm. In the 60s, you get the master that's kind of the James Bond villain. In the 70s, it's more hammer horror. You move on to the Jeffrey Beaver Mm. master where he's all mutilated. And then the 80s is slightly camp, Anthony Ainley, Mm. like Panto villain. 90s, clearly the Terminator. And then when it gets to John Sim, it's the politician yeah that's that's true i i see that i think i think more with eric roberts i I don't think i think they only do the terminator thing for that one scene i think other than that he's just very american baddie i think he's very kind of um going back to bond villain a little bit he's just the obnoxious american baddie that you got in films with sylvester stallone and bruce willis and things like that he was just the american baddie who would often be played by a big bulked up um i'd say someone to compare him to a lot i always think when i first watched it even as a kid i remember thinking this master was like him was don't remember the character's name but he's the bad guy in the mask have you seen that oh yeah Oh, what is his name? I don't have a clue what his name is. I can't is. remember. Yeah, but I know what you mean. But he's that style. It's that slick back kind of almost gangster like American. I got all the power in the world sort of thing. And that's kind of what they're doing. But him in juxtaposition with this kind of British quite twee in an old Edwardian costume thing works really nicely. And it is a bit of a shame that it all comes down to a bit of a fist fight, which is fine. But I would have liked to have seen a little bit more battle of the brains between them, the two of them. Um, but I suppose that goes back to they were trying to think, well, maybe the Americans wouldn't like this. You know, one of the best scenes of, of um, John Sims Master, and I should say, actually, I feel like I'm, I'm having a go at John Sims Master. I loved him in with the 12th Doctor. I thought that was really good. I thought when he returned at the end of series, uh, series 10, I thought it was great. That's just how I wanted John Sims to be. A bit more camp. There was some good dialogue between him and um, Capaldi. But one of the best scenes of John Sims' master is when he's on the phone to the Doctor and they're talking about what happened with Gallifrey. And I would have liked a little bit more of that conversation because they could have actually filled in some of the gaps. You know, why was he sent to Scarrow? Why was he in a trial? Why did he request the Doctor to take his things home? What was the end game to all this? There's been so many fan theories since then uh, that there's some really cool ones i like the idea that it was president romana took the master 
Tuscaro as a, as a peace offering to stop the time war from happening. That would make sense. Yeah. So they, and they held, you know, and at the time everyone's going, what the doctors, the, the, you know, the Daleks hold a trial. That's not the Daleks. But then since the new series, we've seen Daleks turning into humans with guns in their heads. We've seen the parliament of the Daleks. I, I'm pretty sure we've seen the brothel of the Daleks, the vegan society of the Daleks, the swinger society of the Daleks. I mean, I, I lost track what they've done to the Daleks in the new series. So, uh, so yeah, now a trial with Daleks doesn't seem so obscure. A lot of people accuse Eric Roberts of being a bad actor, but he really isn't. I mean, if you look at his IMDb, mm. he's got 483 acting credits, 61 of which are currently in production. Bad actors don't have that sort of longevity. No, absolutely not. I really like Eric Like I said, I really like him as the master. And I know he's come back to Big Finish now. And I'm really interested to see what he does. Because one thing I realized, you could tell Eric Roberts loved playing the master. He really enjoyed doing it. And I think it comes across. And I, and I think in the same way, Anthony Ainley adored being the master. So did Roger Delgado. So did John Sims. So did um, Michelle Gomez. And it comes across so well. We've never had an actor in a role. Same as the Doctor. You've never had an actor who played the Doctor and hated it. At least one bit have really loved being the Doctor. And that shows off. And I think it's great that Eric Roberts took to this role. Which, to be fair, you know, if you're an American actor, you're in American films, your sister's Julia Roberts, and suddenly you're offered, do you want to do this naff little show from Britain? You'll be playing this kind of camp baddie. He easily could have turned his nose up at that. But he genuinely took took to it, and he still is very warm and very... He's very lovely when he talks about the role today. And if he didn't enjoy it, he wouldn't have gone back and done it for Big Finish. And it is a kind of a different character for him because he has mostly been typecast as a mob boss. Yeah. Uh, like he's in The Dark Knight and he's really good in that. Yeah. And he's in the first series of Heroes. He's mm. one of the villains in that. And like outstanding performance. Oh, absolutely. I just think here, like you said about, about script changes and it was a few drafts away, I think they don't really know what they wanted. And if you look at like the casting list, of who they had in mind for the actor to play the master and the doctor. Yeah. It's like sometimes the same name is on both lists. Yeah. It's clear they had no idea. And I know people say, well, these are characters that can regenerate. You can cast anyone. But where else would you see Wesley Snipes on the same list as Jim Broadbent? Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? it it's, I mean, it's again, I mean, we talked about being a couple of right, um, you know, a couple of rewrites away from a good series, but we forget this was a lot of rewrites away from the awful beginnings of this idea. I mean, the original concept for this movie was absolutely insane. Um, you know, there's all these rumors about, um, you know, I think to begin with, you had, uh, you know, Steven Spielberg was involved a little bit or he put his company involved with it. And yeah, the, Universal and Amblin. Yeah, that's Amblin. Were yeah, involved at the beginning. Yeah, and some of the ideas that came out from the very early series were absolutely insane. Um, like you know, the, the Doctor being the son of Omega, and the whole film was going to be about his secret brother who was the master, and it was going to be this story of "You are my brother" sort of thing. You had all these rumors about. Do you hear about the Spider Daleks? Yeah, I've seen some test footage that's, on YouTube. Yeah, that, and that's by his company, Albion, I think. And, you know, the spider Daleks were supposed to be in it. And then we were going to have the Cybers, who were going to be these 
basically the Cybermen, but not. And the, the original concept for some of the movie is insane, and it would have been awful. People complain now about, um, oh, you know, they said he was half human, which we've all kind of got around in our own way since then. And, you know, all these concepts of the Doctor getting off with his companion, you know, they struggled with that. But had they had the original concept of the um, of the first draft i think we i don't think we'd have a new series to be honest it would have been so the original story of doctor would have been so destroyed that i think we would have struggled i think they even were going to reveal his name as well yeah that should never be revealed. no and the original yes the original concept of the film which there's a great documentary about it i think on the blu-ray and the dvd of the uh, of the tv movie you know in the, in the extras there's a whole documentary about them bringing it back and what happened but in circa 94 they had a mental script that i think the bbc really had to fight and say you can't put this out because you're going to destroy 33 years of history in this show and i think they did (laughs) do a good job of keeping quite loyal to it i mean with the the half human thing there's all sorts of ways i think people have kind of retconned that some people have said it was just the eighth doctor was half human there's there's some big finish play where he says it was a disease he could he got where he caught dna off somebody after he'd kissed them. There's even a novel where he uses the chameleon arts just before he regenerates. So he's kind of still got those human memories and a little bit of human DNA. Oh, yeah. They tie it in with human nature. That's right, yeah. I, human nature. That was supposed to happen just before this or something like that. What I'll do is I'll tell you quickly, Martin, I think the number one thing I dislike about the um, the film, if that's all right with you, there was one part of it. And these days, don't be wrong, I'm I'm over it, but there was one thing that I think was very misleading about it. And that is the trailer. It's so misleading because it's really cool. The trailer's awesome. All these new effects, the TARDIS swinging in the air. The TARDIS looks brilliant, by the way, and the, the CGI of it flying through the vortex. But it's but it says he's back and it's about time. And then you very clearly hear this awesome round of exterminate, exterminate, exterminate in this really cool version of the Dalek voice you've never heard before. It's so deep, it's so booming, and it's scary. So to me, that said, the Daleks are back. And I remember thinking, and me and my friends said, well, the Daleks are going to be in it because they've been in the trailer. You hear it very clearly, exterminate, exterminate, really clearly. And all we got (laughs) in the film was this kind of weird squeaky noise, this kind of... An explosion, and then we never hear about them again. We hear them referenced again, but they don't appear. And I, yeah, I think they had some rights issues. Oh, between, I'm sure. Um, shooting, I'm absolutely so, yeah. sure they did. You know, obviously, you had the Terry Nation. It sounds like there's a right nightmare every time they want to feature the Daleks in anything. But for me as a kid, that trailer had exterminate very clearly all the way through it. And I thought, they're going to come. They were going to come. The Daleks are going to be in this. And they never appeared. And I, to this day, I don't think I quite, as the credits started rolling, I think a little seven-year-old me just goes, oh, just gutted they never appeared. And I just think it's so misleading. Honestly, watch that trailer. They're very clearly, loudly screaming, exterminate, exterminate. And that version we got of them, which one, you don't even see them. And thank goodness, because you probably were spider Daleks or whatever they were. But that noise they make is so weird, you know, in the opening scene. It's very weird. And that whole monologue is a little bit weird. It is strange. I, I like the idea. I'm glad they didn't use the... There was originally another guy who was supposed to be from the master's point of view, telling the story, you know, and he was this American guy who was saying, you know, as I my final rights are, I leave my body and soul to the... I'm glad they don't do that because I think we all... I think we all will admit that we all like to think that's Anthony Ainley 
being shot there. We assume it's Anthony only went from him to Eric Roberts. I like there was another one I found on YouTube, and it was Gordon Tipple, the guy who it. is the master in that bit. Yeah, and he's he's doing the voiceover, but it's really flat, like really flat. And then they got Paul McGann to do one; they didn't like that, so they got him to redo it. Okay. I think they were going to have Sylvester McCoy do it as well. Yeah, it does make sense with Paul McGann. I think I think it does kind of make sense. They made the right decision. Yeah, there wasn't the guy who actually is the body they're using in that thing. It was. It was him. Uh, the, I've forgotten. Who, who did you say the actor was again? Tipple. Gordon. Uh, Gordon Tipple, yeah. It was him. You know, they used his body to get shot in that weird cage thing. That looks quite cool, to be honest. But I think they were right not to do that. Because every time I watch that now, I think we we all assume it's Anthony Ainley. And there's someone on YouTube who's done a really good edit. There was a, a computer game that was out a, the year before called Destiny of the Doctors. A really yeah, I've great seen clips. I've never played oh, it. Those- I had that when I was younger. It was so cool. You basically, the whole level was you were in the TARDIS and you went around. There were creepy as hell. There were like aliens sort of hidden around the TARDIS. It was really good. And the end scene is that the master gets locked up and he's behind bars. Oh, right. And someone has cleverly edited together the end scene, which was Anthony Ainley's actually in the footage at the end. They've edited together that with the beginning of the TV movie. And it works so well because you've got Anthony Ainley screaming, release me, release me. Doctor, you know what they'll do to me? And then it goes into the TV movie. It's brilliant. I, I'm glad they didn't do that because I think we've all retconned in our head that it's Anthony Ainley getting shot by the Daleks and then uh, then becoming Eric Roberts. Did you know that Peter Cavaldi and Christopher Eccleston were both offered auditions, but they declined? I didn't know Eccleston was. I heard Capaldi was, and he didn't feel right for it or for whatever reason. The guy who wrote it, Seagal, he wanted um, Michael Parr... Uh, Michael- Michael Palin. Michael Palin. Michael, imagine Michael Parkinson as Doctor. Uh, yeah, oh, I Palin. love that. <laughs> Michael Palin, he wanted as the Doctor. I think he always, since he was younger, uh, envisioned, as, as we all do, I think if we all wrote our own series of Doctor Who, we all have in our own minds who we'd cast as the Doctor. I think his was always Michael Palin. Michael Palin said he was too old for it. And then I think he wanted um, Michael Crawford. And I think, again, Michael Crawford said he didn't feel right for the role. A lot of people on the list were like next generation cast. I do think it was the right decision with Paul McGann. I know his brother went for it as well, Mark McGann. um, Because when I met Paul McGann at at MCM, I was talking to him about how I met Mark McGann. I served him in an an HMV in Bristol. And oh, uh, thing, he was buying buy, buying some stuff, and I said, "Excuse me, you Mark McGann?" He sort of gave that kind of, "Oh, I've been spotted." He went, "Yes," and I went, "Oh, your brother is amazing," which is probably the thing you shouldn't say to someone. <laughs> but I was like, "No, your brother was my doctor," and I I, I told uh, Paul McGann that story when I met him for the first time last summer. I've never I never go to conventions or anything like that, but my sister took me to the uh, MCM. I think it was last year and it was brilliant. I got to meet Paul McGann and, uh, and I told him, but we had a good chat actually. And I, I told him about that and he laughed and said, Oh yeah, Mark would have hated that. He said, I love Mark. You know, he's my favorite <laughs> guy called Mark, but he's not my favorite brother. He's a sensitive soul is Mark. <laughs> um, and he, was, he said, you know, he auditioned to it first. He wanted it more. He was a proper fan as a kid. And I said, no way. But yeah, then his, then his half little brother got it instead. And I thought that's quite funny. Imagine that Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> it would have been awkward, wouldn't it? Uh, maybe th- maybe he should have been the master. Mark McGann could have been the master. That would have been brilliant. I think Paul McGann was, was an excellent choice, and I think he's proven that ever since in in Big Finish. So I'll keep it on the subject of, of Paul McGann for a minute. I, I do think he's an excellent doctor, and I've really only recently in the last couple of years listened to his Big Finish stories, and it's so sad to listen to in a way because it's, he's kind of the doctor we never got, and I, I really do enjoy him, and I, I still get 
when I listen to his series, I get this feeling of, of, of feeling like a kid again. In the many ways that people who watched it in the 70s, they love the new series. But when they see Tom Baker or they hear Tom Baker, they get that Saturday night art, that Saturday night evening feeling, that sort of um, butterflies in the stomach of bit being excited to watch Doctor Who, but also being a little bit scared. And I totally get that. And people get it now over David Tennant. You know, people who are 20, 25 years old, they had that with David Tennant when they were younger. Whenever they see him on the telly, they get that buzz and that excitement of the 10th Doctor. And I get that with the 8th Doctor, because obviously after the 8th Doctor came back, he was the Doctor. So even though we didn't get a series after that, whenever I, me and my friends played Doctor Who in the playground or whenever I played with my action figures, in my head it was always Paul McGann because he was the Doctor now. He wasn't Sylvester McCoy anymore. He'd been the Doctor up to a stage, but now it was Paul McGann. And ever since the series came back, in my head, if someone said, who plays Doctor Who? I would say, well, Paul McGann does. So it is kind of sad that we never got this series. And it would have been interesting because it, it does feel very out of place now with the new series and the old series the tv movie feels very out of place it does feel like a drama set in america so it would have been interesting to see what they'd done had we got a second film had we got a sequel had we got a series where they actually took the show into space you know how would this style of doctor who have introduced the cybermen how would it have introduced the time lords how would it have introduced daleks uh, a regular companion would we have gone back to britain what would that have looked like would we have discovered more about the tardis what would how would paul mcgann's character have developed it, it would have been really interesting i think that's why it does have this cult following the movie because everyone tries to envision in their head what might have been a big part of that was was the the time war and I don't know about you, and I, I did enjoy the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who and the idea of John Hurt as the war doctor. It was pretty cool at the time. It was, you know, wow, John Hurt is now an official doctor, and um, here's this story of the time war and kind of what we didn't see, and, the, you know, it was quite cool. But I think it was one of those things that was great short term, but it wasn't great long term. Do you know what I mean? I kind of see what you mean. Well, what I mean by that is, and maybe it's just me because I considered Paul McGann my doctor, is they did a very clever thing with the new series of separating the old and the new with the time war. I think it was genius writing from Russell T. Davis because he could have done lots of things. He could have gone, right, how can I define my new series from the old series? Maybe I'll make the TARDIS change into anything. Maybe I'll get rid of the police box and instead it will do this. Or maybe I'll have the doctor as a woman now. Maybe I won't call the doctor anymore. I'll call him the professor could have done a lot of things i think you know like the the fox and the original rights of the tv movie we're trying to do something completely different i think he did something very very clever by going right there's the old series doctors one to eight then there's a time war and then there's this new era of doctor who with without time lords so basically you could have called you could have even not called the new series doctor who he could have called it just last of the time lords and it could have started a whole new a whole new anthology of stories but it was very clever to have that idea of the time war to separate the old from the new but another thing i think everybody liked was the idea that paul mcgann was the one who killed all the time lords i liked that idea i i like that idea a lot of people have said they couldn't see him mm. doing it but you know desperation and a series of events yeah will lead you to change your character and i could absolutely see his doctor mm. going that far especially when he came back in 2013 and we got that short yeah absolutely i could see that doctor doing. i liked it and i i do like to think there's an alternative you know as we all do we all retcon things in our mind as we've said a lot this evening but you know i i like to think there's a story out there of the eighth doctor because i think it's the 
idea that he was such a romantic, sensitive doctor and to have him go from this very kind of guy running around, you know, with his long hair, Mr. Darcy style, which was what they were going for. You know, Pride and Prejudice had been big across the pond with the BBC remake in the early 90s. So they were kind of going for this Mr. Darcy, handsome Englishman in his Edwardian frock. So to have him go from that to having to fight in a war and end the Time Lords, it was it was amazing. And one thing I remember as well, around the time of the series two and series three of the new series, when YouTube got very big and we had people like um, Babble Colour and various other people, you know, people started making like Doctor Who edits and things online, you know. Sure, yeah. People started making, people started cutting together scenes from, from the movie and putting them into like classic series. But, and they tried to, and Babble Colour did this a lot. He still does it a lot today. Kind of making, kind of made fan fiction of old clips of how the Eighth Doctor actually did it. What? you know what did he do how did he regenerate into and we were all fascinated with god everyone wanted to see that regeneration between the eighth doctor and the ninth doctor and i think in our heads it just sounded so cool that there's this whole period of time where the eighth doctor did something awful and then regenerated into the ninth doctor he went from that frock to the leather jacket and that slightly dark persona it was really interesting and i think it's a bit of a shame that that got taken away that mystery got taken away because it was all in our in our own heads we were all imagining what was the time war like what did it look like what did the time lords look like going from this very poncy kind of you know these sort of vicars in space to these war into this war with the daleks which would have looked mental and mcgann was there and suddenly there's the the ninth doctor as cool as the 50th anniversary was did take that magic away from it yeah i guess as fans we had years of anticipation and building up around stories and mm -hmm. nothing they delivered was going to match that no matter how good it was yeah uh, i know big finish and l doing a time war range where we're seeing paul mcgann lead up to that but it's not really the same and that was another thing that really confused me with the new series as as a new series viewer mm. i assumed the time war had happened in some story that i had never seen oh, okay. so i, I kind of sought it out and the thing is at the time when i first saw this tv movie i hated it so much <laughs> it put me off watching classic who until about 2008 you're not alone you're not alone trust me i get a lot of people tell me oh you like the tv movie you know and it, i feel bad because i genuinely think without big finish i think paul mcgann may not even be canon i think it's got to that stage now where had he got not got and done big finish and earned this kind of he kind of earned his stripes as the doctor on doing these great stories with sheridan smith as lucy miller and you know you had the, the, the charlie stories and tamsin and these really really cool stories had he not done them i genuinely think many people would have just not bothered with the tv movie and decided that oh well eccleston's the eighth doctor and i'm thinking it was very good of russell t davis who is a fan of the of the um 96 tv movie and he's shows it you know he, he takes a lot of that tv movie in, into oh, the new series yeah. you know he, he puts the romance in for example um the slightly americanization of it you know the 50 minute episodes for example i don't think that would have happened without the tv movie i think the tv movies are a lot has a lot to answer for in the sense that we would have a very different new series had it not come about another complaint that's often leveled at this is the amount of subplots that don't go anywhere mm. But what I think people often overlook is that this was a pilot for a TV series. Yeah. So, like, the additional characters, like the guy in the morgue, he was obviously intended to pop up every couple of episodes. The only thing that gets me is, like, why was a medical physician invited to the beryllium clock <laughs> opening? Yeah, I... <laughs> 
I always just feel like that goes a bit wrong. I think it's a really intriguing story. I, I do admit, as much as it is quite cool, the ending and the face-off between the Master and the Doctor, I do feel like they, they rush the ending a bit. I, that battle in the TARDIS, I think, should have happened straight away. You know, when he puts him up on the thing and he tries to, you know, take his body, for instance. He tries to do that, and I would have had that the second they get back to the TARDIS. I would have had that bit there. And then I think they would have had, I would have had the Doctor escape and then try and get the Berinium clock thing. Again, that needs a bit more explanation. But they, I would have had the chase to get there first. I would like the idea of them trying to get to a New Year's Eve party for New Year's Eve. Does that make sense? Right, yeah, no, Because what they do is they go to the New Year's Eve party. There's no real threat there other than the race to get there before the master. But once they're there, nothing really happens. He has a bit of banter with the guy. They have a chase back to the to the TARDIS but it feels a little bit small that all this this kind of big fight happens in the TARDIS where really you think they don't really care what's going on outside the TARDIS because they can just flick a switch and that's the thing I think we always know towards the end we kind of know that well if he gets out of this which we know he will he's in a time machine he can just go backwards and fix it, which is how the film ends. He does that. But if it was actually taking place to a point where he has to get to this point without his time machine at midnight, it would make a lot more sense. Because we'd already established that the TARDIS doesn't have enough energy to move and do that. So the fact that he would have to get to this brilliant clock and do something there, I think that would have been more exciting because then you would have had lots of people involved. You know, you could just imagine him running through the crowds of people, you know, move, move, move. I've got to get to this clock and the master following him. I think it would have been a really nice ending. They, the ending doesn't does get a little bit muddled so and you're right the, the subplots that come like the beryllium clock what is that who is the professor the fact that he keeps predicting everyone's ending there's the, the security guy yeah the, i mean exam. can the eighth doctor see through time well that's that's annoying as well because i think that's what they were trying to do they were trying to go look he's a time lord he's been everywhere because then she makes a good point it's almost like they they screw themselves over because he says everything's gonna end at midnight and then she goes well hang on a minute you told me that this guy passes an exam how does he do that if there's no future and all he does is put his head in his hands and you think oh actually you've ruined that a little bit because you're right he's already seen the future so surely he gets this right you're already telling us that he's going to save the day so there's quite a lot of cubbins in there that they could get rid of really and i just think that the i mean to me it's just like the outcome i always don't like doctor who when the risk is the universe is going to end i just that's such a lazy thing that a kid could write it's like right uh doctor who here's the story and what is the threat the earth is going to be destroyed or the universe is going to end i don't like that I like it more that's why I think the siege under the, the base under siege stuff is more interesting because you're just dealing with the worst thing that could happen here is eight people are going to die and they're the eight people who are in this room I don't like it when they're like oh and if we don't stop him the universe will end I like it when it's if we don't stop him this one person's going to die it feels bigger then because it feels nicer that the doctor's here and doing something to help one person not just a whole universe or a whole planet it's a bit cliched in that in that bit but again I suppose they're trying to appease the American market where you know in the American sci-fi shows, the threat every week was that the Earth is going to end. <laughs> well, and I guess with the prediction of the future, we also had Whoopi Goldberg in the next generation at this point predicting things and speaking cryptically. So I guess the sense there was, well, people love this in sci-fi. Well, that could be. I mean, I'm not, I don't know about um, Star Trek. I've never watched it personally. I imagine if that's what they were doing, they're not. That's probably what they were trying to do. Had I watched what was going on at the time in other American shows, I bet I could probably pick a couple of shows from 95 96 watch them and go oh okay look they tried to copy that oh look they tried 
both do that. I wish they'd been watching the X-Files instead, because I think it would have been a lot cooler to go down that route. Well, that's what people were hoping. When mm. I watched that premiere clip, a bunch of people were like, oh, I really hope it's like the X-Files. That's interesting, because I, I would imagine that now. At the time, I wasn't allowed to watch the X-Files. I didn't watch Star Trek. I didn't. I think the only other sci-fi show I knew was Star Wars, which even actually, I do feel like they go for a Star Wars thing right at the beginning. So the music's different. The music's great. I might add that. But it starts with instead of you normally get a da 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 dum da 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 dum da 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 dum. Instead, it starts with da 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 da. Yeah, it kind of starts off in the middle. Yeah, of the song. it starts with the middle eight. So you get da, and it sounds like Star Wars. You know, in the sense it goes da 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 with the logo coming close. Even as a seven-year-old. I went, all right, okay, cool. They want to be Star Wars. This is fine. But even, even a seven-year-old could say, they're trying to do Star Wars there. So there was definitely different kind of cliches they clicked onto, where, which probably makes them lose their way a little bit. I do feel like, though, having all said that, and we're talking about the cliches and the, the concepts of America, I do feel like there's some really excellent moments of Doctor Who in there, and they particularly come from the actual writing of the Doctor himself. I feel like his interaction with Grace is very good. It's exactly the same as Peter Davidson would interact with one of his companions, how the second Doctor would interact with his companions, and how Tennant Smith and all that do. In particular, I like that Grace is, tries to say, you know what, you, yeah, you might be a Doctor, but I'm a Doctor too, and I know things. So she actually kind of she knows about the you know when they they cross over the threshold of the of the outside of the TARDIS to the inside she sure. makes a comment like oh that'll uh the, the spatial discourse or something she says and he sort of turns to her and goes oh yeah if you like and I think that's that's quite funny we've seen that since we've seen that when uh, I think there was a scene of Clara and the 11th Doctor she says something quite smart and the 11th Doctor doesn't like it so he sort of goes yeah all right whatever you know we, we've seen that before but Paul McGann does have some of my favorite Doctor moments of all time um and one of those in particular is probably I would say my one of my favorite scenes of the Doctor ever which is when they're about to commence in the the, the motorbike race and the car chase tries to, to get the motorbike off of the uh, the policeman the policeman's very trigger happy very American cop you know excuse me sir move back move back sir move back and he goes to his pocket and he instantly thinks he's going to pull out a gun because we're in America. And the Doctor pulls out a jelly baby. You know, classic Tom Baker throwback. We still get the jelly babies in the new series. Jelly babies are great. Great part of the Doctor. It's like, you know, the Sonic Screwdriver. He pulls out the jelly babies and says, would you like a jelly baby, officer? There's that brilliant moment. He kind of, he's so confused that he hasn't had a gun pulled out on him. He's had little twee British sweets pulled out in a, you know, a penny sweet bag. And he, he takes out the um, jelly baby. And the Doctor does that brilliant thing. He makes that noise you know go on have a jelly baby i love that everyone he gives a jelly baby to they sniff it yeah yeah that's a really nice touch they think because because it's that paranoia kind of thing of what's this guy want is it drugs is it what's he on and he puts it in his mouth and the doctor pulls out the gun and what they easily could have done then is make this very american of have the doctor threaten him with the gun because the doctor would never threaten anyone with a gun you know the british series would never do that oh no wait they've done it loads in the new series we even had piss in the 12th doctor shoot a time lord i won't even get into that because I mean, ugh. people complain about the 1996 TV movie. We've had a lot of portrayal of the Doctor as a character in the new series. Way more. I don't think, other than the I'm half human thing, I don't think Paul McGann's portrayal of the Doctor betrays the character in any shape or form. I think it's an excellent interpretation. And it, this scene in particular is he pulls the gun out and he points it to himself and he says, now please step away from the motorcycle officer before I shoot myself. The officer doesn't know what to do. Brilliantly British whilst being brilliantly alien. This police officer's probably had 100 guns pulled on him in his time. He's probably had guns held at his head, held at his body, and he's negotiated with them. But he's never had a nutty British person or a nutty alien pull out a gun and point to himself. 
and say, now move away or I'm going to shoot myself. He doesn't know what to do. He's completely baffled by the whole thing. Grace is baffled by the whole thing. It's brilliantly alien. And it's so lovely because he's appealing to his, instead of using force and threat to say, give me your bike or I'm going to shoot you. He says, I know you're a nice guy, really. I think you're a good police officer. If I threaten my own life, you'll be more scared of me shooting myself than me shooting you, which I think is so Doctor Who. To me, that is Doctor Who in an excellent 30 seconds. I think you could show that 30 seconds ago. This is what Doctor Who's about. This is how he acts as an anti-hero and, and as a hero. It is fantastic. It's one of my favorite Doctor Who scenes of all time. That I just, It's brilliant. And then <laughs> he genuinely doesn't know. He's slightly ruined by her taking the gun off him. But that whole, now move away, officer, before I shoot myself. He says it with such a sort of wild grin in his face. A very Tom Baker-esque grin. A very David Tennant-esque grin. It's brilliant. I absolutely love that scene. And that, for me, is why... Paul McGann is my doctor. That that yeah, I could take that sixty seconds, and it shits over all the other doctors. I love it. I love the enthusiasm for this, Ooh. and it, it's a real shame that Fox won't let Big Finish use Grace or Chang. Oh yeah, a, that is a real shame. But how, how come they've got away with the the Master? I suppose because the Master's already owned by. Yeah, Paul the Bruce. Master's already, I guess, a British creation. But yeah, the Chang and Grace were created for the series specifically. Why not just let these characters go out and make? you money you're doing nothing with them yeah they're hardly likely to announce the grace and chang spin-off you are and there's i think there's oh who was i was watching something recently i think it was josie long who uh, appears in the dvd extra talking about the movie and she says at the very end when they're kind of going back to san francisco they're all stood around the tardis there's the doctor there's grace and there's lee and you think yeah yeah that's the that's the team they're the new team this is great. And you sort of watch them and he's kind of grinning at them. They're both stood around the TARDIS. It stops. And he does that excellent thing where they all panic and you think, oh no, here we go again. And he just gives it a slight bang and the TARDIS starts going again. You go, oh yeah, this is great. And then they just land on San Francisco and they all go home. And you go, this isn't what we wanted. We don't we don't want them to go. Like, stay. This is the new I team. guess they were trying to set up other episode points where he goes back and finds each of them for a specific reason i think if they'd known this was going to be the one-off they would have ended it where he banged the tardis and then they fly off together. yeah that's what i thought was going to end on you know in my mind in still in my head the seven-year-old of me whenever i see that scene thinks they're going to fly off they're going to land on a ship the door opens and we have brand new Daleks coming in and that would have been an excellent ending but we don't get that you know it stops and he gets off with a uh, with, with ace oh, that's a story for another day he gets off with with grace and and he goes away with some gold lee and he flies off in the tardis and it's all a bit yeah is it, i get a bit sad every time i see that ending because it's also the fact that you know that that is the end of paul mcgann you know other than the the night of the doctor that we got in 2013 we never got that proper series that he deserved and i think we're running out of time now to if we ever get one and the problem with that is uh, many people i think want them i think i think there's always been a call for let's have a netflix series or a bbc iPlayer series of paul mcgann i think we're running out of time to do that now i know some people think that's a bad idea but i think doctor who's so big now that it deserves an on-screen extended universe and i, I don't want to get too marvel comics I, I don't know why there isn't there's so much in the in the you know nearly 60 years of doctor who I'm really surprised, other than, I know we get Torchwood and things like that, that we've never had, you know, a real adult series of different characters. We've never had a master series. Like, look at what Big Finish do. They'll do a whole series of two characters who appear in the Talons of Wen Chiang. They'll do a full series of the Master. They'll do a full series of the Rani, series on Gallifrey, series on this planet and that planet, a Dalek story a davros story i've always been very surprised that actual television have never done this there's no reason we couldn't have got a a one-off adult series 
on Paul McGann. When it comes to spin-offs, I've always thought that like a 60s or 70s set unit style X-Files show would be amazing. That would be great. I mean, I, I think when Torchwood came around, people thought, oh, can't it be unit? You know, but I think there's so much you could do. I think everyone's thought in their head, I'd love to watch an Ace spin-off. What did Ace do in the 90s? We could have a spin-off of that. We could have a spin-off of what Jamie did next, you know, changing actors or whatever. We could have a whole series of the Rani. We could have a whole series of that. Because I think the problem at the moment is, is that the, the series now is so big you kind of can't just have the one show anymore. I mean, the amount of people who moaned about series, like, this is what cracks me up. Is that, I mean, I'm not always a big fan of the series when it's on, but I don't understand the entitlement of some fans. Grown men making YouTube videos about how much they hate Doctor Who, I think are the most sad people yeah. in the world. The other thing is you kind of want to say it's not for you, mate. You know, the BBC commissioned Doctor Who to be, yes, a family show, but their target audience for this show and who they market towards is kids. They want kids to watch it. There's a reason Totally Doctor Who yeah, in 2006 absolutely. was on CBBC. There's a reason that trailer for the show was shown after CBBC ended at five o'clock. The show is for kids, and that is who it was made for. And everyone goes, it wasn't as good as when I watched it. And when, when did you watch it? I watched it when I was 10, and Peter Davison was the doctor, and he was fantastic. Because you were fucking 10. That's why it was great, because you watched it when you were 10. You've got these people at the moment moaning about Jodie Whittaker, and half of them are moaning, going, I just want the series back with David Tennant. You go, right, how old were you when David Tennant was on? They go, I, I was I was, I was, was 12. And you go, but that's why you love David Tennant. Even if David Tennant came back now, mm. and if Russell T. Davis came back, yeah. they could never recapture that absolutely era. Absolutely not. No, you're absolutely right. And it's and you just kind of want to say to people, oh, shut up. It's not for you. Like, oh, I don't like Jodie Whittaker's doctor. She's silly. But she's not for you, mate. She's for kids. She's she's and the kids love her. You know, the kids really do like the new series. Some do, some don't. But then some like Power Rangers still, some don't. Some like Captain America, some don't. You know, it's a big show, yes, for families, but mainly for kids. So if you're moaning because you found the Rosa episode two on the nose, trust me, there are not six-year-olds sat in their living room going, oh my goodness, they're throwing political commentary down my throat. They don't give a shit anymore that when we watched Gen when I watched Genesis the Daleks when I was seven years old, I wasn't going, oh, this is socialist awfulness. They're just mimicking the nazis it's insane i saw one guy going oh i don't watch it anymore because it's too political mm. and it's like when was the show not yeah. political there's a whole episode uh, on the sun makers where the villains are called the inner retinue yeah and it's about taxing people to death. It's about the Tories in the 70s. Absolutely. And then you get to Thatcherism in the 80s, which they mentioned. You didn't pick up on it no. at the time because you were a kid. Yeah, it's exactly that. And there, a lot of the people who are whinging about the newer series now making these endless YouTube content because, you know, you, you can go anywhere for a hot tank now especially in the days of youtube people don't just have opinions anymore they have full content with thousands of viewers on them as well and we're all guilty of doing it and i don't mind if somebody makes a video and they say here's what i'd like to see in a new series or here's what i did like here's what i didn't like but when people really rant about how much they hate it and i just hate it i'm so angry why isn't doctor who what it used to be and you think uh, and you, these people are always the same age they're always about 25 years old and they all ha talk very fondly about when, when i was younger it was like you go yeah but but it was political it always was like this but you didn't realize it because you were 10 years old and you weren't being bombarded with twitter messages saying look at this political crap that's gone mad they could i think solve that problem by making more adult oriented series you could have a series that is very tailored to the classic series i think you could easily do that you could do a, a spin-off for example set on gallifrey which could really cater to the older series because there's a huge audience for it you could do a show that's a little bit more for kids you could do a show that's a little bit more for the adults there's so much they could do and i'm surprised they don't do more spin-offs 
spin-off shows. I mean, uh, the the class thing, I think, was probably a bit of a bad idea. Sam, I'm sorry, but I just really need to have a piss. <laughs> so I'm just going to run. I'll be no, right I'll wait, back. mate. I'm all good. I'll get another all glass right, of wine. Cheers. If you're going to explode, you can use the commode in igloos, cave dwellings, or tents. No need to explain when you got a drain. Don't whiz on the electric fence. You can swizzle on the sofa. Piddle in the air. Tinkle in the toilet. That's why it is there. You can let it rain in the breakdown lane while waiting at ladies and gents. Just don't whiz on. Don't whiz on. The class thing was odd because I don't understand why they thought they should make a spin-off for teenagers. I think if you're ever going to make a spin-off for for Doctor Who, it needs to be like a real-life big finish. It needs to be for the proper, proper fans. Well, the class thing's interesting because it's kind of a spin-off that had no pre-existing characters. Like, I didn't like Clara or Danny, mm-hmm. but if class had been about them as teachers in Cold yeah. War, it would have been a lot more successful. Because, like, when you look at it, who was class for? Yeah. And when, you, when you're flicking through the channels and stuff. I know people say like CSI has had spin-offs, mm. NCIS has had spin-offs, but they still retain the title CSI, mm. NCIS, and then they change the location. But it's like, if you've never seen Doctor Who, or even if you have seen Doctor Who, but you know nothing about class, what is it when you see that on the iPlayer mm-hmm. that makes you think, oh yeah, this is a Doctor Who spin-off? I, do, I genuinely don't know what the reason was behind it. It was a very strange decision. Um, I agree with you. You know, something like Unit, you know, a gritty Unit, um, 1960s or 70s kind of themed show, it would make so much more sense because I think the only people that the new series has ever alienated has been the hardcore fans. The idea of the new series is always to adapt and be new. You know, when Doctor Who comes back, it's always going to have that same charm as Doctor Who. Whether you like it or not, it's always Doctor Who. But it's never going to be the same show you watched when you were younger. You know, in the same way, it's never going to be the TV movie for me. It's never going to be the, the McCoy era for you. People who watched in the 70s, it's never going to be Tom, the Tom Baker ever. You're never going to get back to that kind of slow-paced, six-part episode, half-an-hour stories. It, it's always... And we shouldn't, because the, yeah. the world has yeah, moved absolutely on absolutely that. that, you know. But there is an audience for that. There's an audience of people who love... You know, you've just got to look at the amount of... When they've released the Blu-rays of the old series... I mean, bear in mind, everyone who bought that Blu-ray, I'd put good money on them owning them on DVD already, but there's, Absolutely. they sell out so quickly. You know, there's a big audience of people who are, you could easily do a unit story that was so loyal to the old series. It could have, you could bring back the Sea Devils, you could bring back the Zygons, you could really cater to the older fans. It would sell like mad and then not have to worry too much about making the main show appeal to them. Because I do think at times Moffat gave in a little bit and went oh i need to put something in for the older fans here which is sweet you know the, because it was the old older fans that kept the show going the show wouldn't be back on tv if it wasn't for the old fans buying the vhs's buying the virgin media books uh, buying the toys the the whatever so i like that the show was always doing something a little bit for the newer series but it can't ever cater to those old fans because you know the 70s era of the show didn't cater to the 60s era of the show and the 80s era of the show didn't cater to the 70s or the 60s it's always moved on absolutely in your mind, what would be the spin-off that you would launch tomorrow if you had the chance? Oh, I've always been obsessed with the Decker, the group of renegades that the Doctor was part of. Like the Rani, the Master, the Monk, the the Warlord, Drax, 
you know, this little group of, I'm fascinated by why they ended up like they did. I like that their, their teacher was Barusa, who we all know was in the end was quite bad or was he, you know, I think the story is that they were at university. There was a small kind of lecture group called the Decca and they consisted of the doctor, the master and all, all these people we've seen over the series and, and a couple more who have appeared in big finish and various other places. And for some reason, something happened during the time of the black scrolls. And for some reason they can't all use their names anymore. They all went to the school of Barusa and they all became renegades for some reason or another. And I like the idea something happened that made them go off in their own ways. Um, but what I'd like to see is, and <laughs> I'd say what, what triggered this as well was suicide squad. You, you see that? For- Don't mind suicide. Squad, it's actually. all right. You know, it's all right. It's, it's not great. I, I, it was on Netflix the other day and I watched it and I kind of sat for it, but I enjoyed it more because I imagined in my head that they were all the master, the Rani, the monk. And I like this idea that if there was a spin, this is just pure fan fiction, but I thought of it in my head a few times that this idea of maybe during the time or something, them sending them out to go and get the doctor. Who was I talking to? I was kind of coming up with the idea at the top of my head. This is copyrighted in case anyone's listening. So I've already thought of this. <laughs> um, but I do I love this idea of of them having to reunite, a bit of a school reunion of them in the days under the guidance of Barusa to have to go and find the doctor for the time war, whatever reason, and maybe accidentally bumping into the Valyard instead. But I like I like any idea of them all coming back together. I know I love the interaction between Kate Omara's Rani and Anthony Ainley's master in the mark of the rani i think it's brilliant because the second they meet they're like two people who used to work together or two students who are at uni together who kind of know they're in the same boat but don't really want to have to hang out together it's fascinating i love the humor of the monk the meddling monk he was the first time lord we ever met other than the doctor and his cheeky ways and him kind of manipulating it and you just you can just imagine them all at at uni together and what they were like and i ima- and i imagine as well they've all got something on the doctor which i like i like they all probably know there's a dark side of the doctor in there and they probably all were guilty of doing something i mean it's it's a, a lot would have to go into it and you'd have to be very careful not to ruin the magic of the history of the doctor as a character in his past but i would love to see all those characters come back you know i've always waited in the new series for the rani to come back because kate omara was fantastic as the rani i've loved to see the monk come back all these various time lords who were renegades like the doctor but took a different route i think they're really fascinating i mean we've had the master now in the old series and the new series quite regularly but i think it's time to bring another time lord in oh absolutely the rani's the right choice yeah i, I think do you think they'd gender swap her now no i don't think they would but i i think you know i, I imagine in my head if she came back i, I thought how would they do it now because kurt Amara, i think was a fantastic choice because they made her in the eight so well, and people even say to this day, oh, when she was in Doctor Who, she was great because she played this kind of um, yuppie, Thatcherite businesswoman. That was her role. She was in all this kind of very plantly dressed up kind of like 80s businesswoman. You know, if you watch like uh, Wall Street or something, the businesswoman in that or Wolf of Wall Street, the way the businesswoman addressed, that's what they tried yeah, to do yeah. with the Rani. She was supposed to be this very kind of Thatcherite um ruthless businesswoman but the, the character of the run is really interesting because she's almost like a militant leftist in a way in the sense that she's almost like you can imagine being a militant vegan because her excuse is always you know when she's uh, manipulating uh humans and stuff she's kind of going well they don't care when they pick on the chickens and if you read like there's some good stories about the Rani that have come out and some big finish stories she basically just really cares about animals and doesn't care about humans she's kind of morrissey in a female form 
Uh, she's a really good character, and I think I said criminal that she's never come back. I remember when Missy came back, I really kept my fingers crossed and f- hoped it was Durrani. But of course, it was Missy, and then I think Missy was great. It was great to have a female master, and Missy absolutely knocked, it, you know, nailed it. It was great to see a new version of the master. But I think we'd do a, a return of the Rani, and personally, if they brought her back, I'd like to see her a bit Kate Bush. Do you know what I mean? I'd like to see her a little bit hippie and a bit more in touch with that kind of hippie side that I think they explored. Sure. That would be my scenario of a spin-off. I'd like to see more renegade time lords, but other than that, I think your idea of the unit thing would be amazing because I think you, you tap into so many cool things with that. There's loads you could do. I and mean, this this is the kind of point we're making, you know. And going back to the TV movie is I think a lot of people expected that when they realized that well the new show's always going to appeal to kids, it's always going to be very mainstream. They thought, well why can't we have our own series of of the eighth doctor that would appeal maybe to the older series and I absolutely understand why they could do that. I think we are running out of time now for to get Paul McGann in to do a new series. I don't think it'll ever happen. Oh, it's never happened. No, I don't think um, it's Just because, you know, you then put out two versions of the same character mm. at the same time, that causes too much brand confusion. Oh, it would be massively confusing, yeah. But, you know, with, like, the CW doing their DC comic shows, yeah. and every year they have that huge event crossover but each episode of each show leads up to that crossover yeah i always get a little bit jealous when those happen because imagine journey's end and stolen earth i know tortured were in it and the yeah. sarah jane adventures they were in it but imagine having a whole series of tortured building up to that mm. a whole series of the sarah jane adventures building up to that it would just be amazing and if i did a spin-off i would probably do bannerman road and i know this isn't going to be popular with fans <laughs> because they love to believe that sarah jane is still out there yeah. solving crimes but i think you go back to bannerman road you you get luke clyde and rani and sky reuniting yeah. and you have that they are now in charge of the operations yeah. and i think that's how you do a spin-off i think tortured's dead you know any any range that big finish now do is essentially killed any hopes of them ever coming into team yeah i think that's fair 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 point yeah yeah i think i think there's so much you could do and i've been very surprised that there hasn't had an an on-screen extended universe to that extent and i like the idea that you had that it would be building up on a on a different show so that if there was a season finale we could have seen it building in torture we could have seen it building in sarah jane adventures and it all came to a head in the last episode it'd be genius it'd be be a good idea but I, i do until they do that we're going to end up with stuff like class unfortunately which didn't really go anywhere class could have worked if they if we'd just got someone that we'd already seen in doctor because big finish took class and they made it work Mm. they said it in series one i was really skeptical because you know i wasn't a fan of class but it works they play to the strengths and another thing about class that always irritated me is the cast all looked like they were like 30 yeah (laughs) In fact, like one of the main guys got married the day the first two episodes debuted. And it's like, I can't take these guys seriously as teenagers, but on audio, it really works. And they even have Ace show up. And they're like, it's not the 80s era Ace. It is the Ace from 2016, 2017. Okay, yeah, yeah. And it's really interesting. And she helps them take out the Daleks. Oh, nice. And yeah, it just works. Like, class could have worked if they had given that to Clara or given it to Danny, or even if Clyde and Rani from the Sarah Jane Adventures were teachers at that school. At least it would have felt connected because the Doctor does not fit in the class universe. And the only reason Peter Capaldi Mm. shows up is to establish that, yes, this is set in the same universe. Yeah, it was a very clumsy thing. And it's, you know, it was very... uh... 
it, it left, I think, a lot of people shaking their heads and just confusement. Not even people... In some ways, people didn't even dislike it. They were just confused by it. That's how I felt about it. Well, the it. marketing was all off. Like, they sent Doctor Who magazine no promotional material. Weird. And on the day it aired, everyone thought it was just going to be like the Sarah Jane Adventures. Because mm. I remember watching those first two episodes and being like, oh, it's a lot darker than I was expecting. And someone was like, oh, yeah, I'm about to let my six-year-old watch. And I was like, no, <laughs> do not. And they were like, oh, well, you know, it's set in a school. And there was a lot of assumptions that it was just a replacement for Sarah Jane. Yeah, I had this great vision of when it, you know, when did it come out? It was last year. Was it 2016, 2017? I think it's 2016. 2016. Yeah. I had this great vision of Stephen Moffat running into the BBC offices. And I've got a great idea for a show. I've just seen the hottest thing on television. And I'm like, brilliant. What is it? It's a show called Skins. It's like, right, okay. <laughs> you know, it's so about 10, 10 years ago. No, no, no. It's, it's brand new and everybody loves it. And I go, no, no, Stephen, honestly, this was big about 10 years ago. No, Skins meets Doctor Who. Okay, well, not, it's done, it's done, it gets commissioned. But that's kind of what I thought they were going. It genuinely looked like they were trying to tap into a skins market who were all now in their 30s, like me. Yeah, uh, a, a big flaw with class is they assumed an audience. Because I interviewed Stephen Moffat as some Doctor Who thing. Ooh. And I've got him, like, people were asking him about a Pat Nostergang spin-off. And he said a spin-off should only happen when you've exhausted the potential on TV, <laughs> but there's still more to say. Right. And then four years later, class comes oh, out. Oh, man. Oh, dear. Blessed. Oh, speaking of your interviews, of course, you spoke to Paul McGann as well, didn't you? I did, and yeah. And how did you find meeting Paul McGann? It was great. It was the second time I met him. The first time I ever interviewed him, it was, like, October 2011 right. unseasonably we had this heat wave okay and like I'm somebody who gets really dry mouthed anyway mm. like I've got like a pitcher of drink next to me now because <laughs> I just get really dry mouth when we're talking yeah and by the time we got to the front of the queue I was like exhausted and I was hot I got all of my questions wrong oh. like I asked him about Luther. I was like so you played a detective in Luther?" he's like no I was a lawyer and then he was in a show called Waking the Dead yeah. and I was like so what's it like doing the walking dead <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah the second time i got to redeem myself a little bit but he's turned a little bit weird recently oh, has he yeah he'll go to these cons and stuff like that and he'll pose for the pictures that people have paid for but any press he won't let you video it and he won't let you take pictures oh because he doesn't want to be on the internet oh okay which is really so weird that because is, then, that we want to <laughs> yeah he's already on the internet so it's it's kind of mm. weird i think he kind of wants this this control over his image but you can't then go to the conventions but i guess at the conventions i know they're different people in the pictures yeah but it's all the same picture it's all the same background it's all the same pose so i guess he he can kind of control that but what he can't control is a certain facial expression he pulls in the interview like we were allowed to record audio for that okay but we weren't allowed to, to video it and that that day colin baker walked in the press room and just went no and then walked back out <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> like oh, everyone's yes, there would set up our cameras and stuff oh. and then colin baker walked in just, no. oh man I must. I guess it must be long. For, I mean, it's. I mean, I'd love to do what they're doing, but I'm, I guess after forty odd years for someone like Colin Baker doing this, you know, it must. It must be get long in the. You know, it must get long. But that's interesting with because I met Paul McGann as I said last year, and and my, my I was there with my sister. She took a few pictures while I was talking to him. He seemed fine, but I really and I was surprised at how long he was giving people because I thought I'd have a quick chat, say hello, and that'd be 
year, but he went, oh, he's very generous with yeah, his time. Yeah, stopped, chatted. We had a, and there was the boy before me. There was a kid before me, about twelve years old, and he went and got a, a signed picture with him. He wasn't very chatty. The kid was quite shy. So Paul McGann really got a conversation going with him. You know, he saw that the picture he was signing was of the control room, uh, of the console room, and he told him all the story about how the console room had been pulled apart and where all the parts are now. And I was probably getting more out of it than the kid was, but it was really, really cool. And I love that he really <laughs> took his time with people. And I, I should add this in actually with with, with this whole podcast of, of the context of probably why I love this um, TV movie so much is the context of the time. Summer of 1996, fantastic time. Um, you know, seven years old. It's it's one of those summers where seven years old. You know, the summer seems to last forever. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And I and I love that time it was euro 96 i'm a big football fan so you know the brilliant summer of euro 96 england doing brilliantly the year football came home uh, the first time well nearly did sort of but also what was amazing around that time is 11 days before the tv movie came out i was taken by my mum and dad for as a as a birthday present to it was a surprise it was a secret they took me they said we're going to go out for lunch and i was like okay so they took me out for lunch me and my, my sisters who at the time were about well they're about three years old and there was me obviously seven and they took us out and it was just a normal thing they'd do on a saturday afternoon they took us out and we ended up in a place called oldborn and they said oh look they've got an event on let's go and take a look and as we walked down there was a couple of monsters and my mum and dad had taken to meet me to this event in oldborn and oldborn's where they filmed the Damons. Oh wow! And yeah. they were doing it was they were filming. There's a video that came out called "Return to Devil's End," and it's actually about this event. It was for the some anniversary, or they were they were holding this event where they filmed Devil's End, and there were all these like monsters there. There was someone in the Dalek walking around, and uh, they had all the cast there from the Damons. So Katie Manning was there. Um, Nicholas Briggs was there. Nicholas, not Nicholas Briggs. Oh, Nicholas Courtney. Nicholas Courtney. Yeah, was there. All the cast, and including John Pertwee. And we didn't get to meet anyone because obviously it cost a lot of money to to meet these stars and um my parents didn't have a lot of money but it was great for me just to be there they bought me a little day pole figure from a little stand that were there we, we kind of saw the people wow. it was a really lovely day and they had like i said they had daleks out and everything it was great we stayed there for a couple of hours and what was great was john levine who played uh sergeant benton yeah he he walked past and my dad sort of pointed and went, look, Sam, that's the man who plays Sergeant Benton. And he heard. He over. He was just walking back to his stand to sign autographs. He'd obviously gone off to lunch. And he heard. So he turned back round. And he came over. And he came for a chat. And, oh, and, he, and he spoke to, to us for a little bit. It was really, really lovely. And my dad said, oh, Sam here. He was watching Death of the Daleks, the uh, Day of the Daleks earlier today. And he goes, oh, I don't remember that one. I said, it's the one where a man disappears in an ambulance when you're in the ambulance with him. And he goes, all oh, right. And I go, how did you do that? And he went, well, what I do is I call in my friend who works with me, who's a magician. And whenever we need something to disappear, like the TARDIS, we bring him in and he makes it disappear on camera. Like it was really, like, we've, we've got, <laughs> I'll, I'll send you these pictures actually. I don't know if you want them for the podcast or social media or anything, but I've got, yeah, I've got them. pictures of my whole family stood with Sergeant Benton. It's, it's really lovely. But, um, and that made my day. It really did make my day. And I thought this is the best day ever until the day got even better because we stayed there till the end. The rain started coming down a little bit and it got a little bit cloudy. The day started, as I said, came to the end. And we were just on our way back to the car when there was a, you had to pay to get into a tent to see John Pertwee do a speech and then you could sign autographs with him. So he didn't appear. 
And anyway, he came out the back of the tent at the end of the day and walked over to a car who was with somebody else. And he was in full costume and he went all the way over to this car park and he was stood there with somebody and he just lit up like a cigar and he was just smoking a cigar. My mum and dad, who, who he was their doctor, John Pertwee, my mum and dad, he was their doctor and they both froze more than I did. I'm like, oh my God, it's John Pertwee. And he was just stood by a car, you know, all the fans had missed him. All the fans were leaving for this thing and we'd seen him sneak out at the back. And my mum said, oh, I'm going to try and get a sneaky picture. I'm going to try and get a sneaky picture. And I literally just sort of walked out a little and stared at him well, I would have said I was about 20 yards away from him and he turned around and he caught my eye and he put this cigarette in his mouth he caught my eye and he was wearing shades at the time and he took the shades off and he put out the cigarette and he called me I went young man come here and he called me over and I was just my dad went go on go and see him go and see him and bear in mind people had paid about 50 quid to go and see him that day and he'd clocked me just staring at him and he called me over car park power cigarette it's like have you seen that scene in um, An Adventure in Time of Space when the little boy goes up to William Hartnell sure. it was that basically power cigarette and he goes what's your, what's your name Sorry about the impression, but it's the best I can do. He goes, <laughs> he goes what's your name? I go, I go, oh, Sam. And he goes, hello, young hello, young fella. And is this your family, is it? Is this your family? And he goes, now, who are these young ladies? And it was my sisters. He had a picture taken holding my holding my sister's hands. Oh, I was too amazing. shy to get my picture taken with him. And I forget, forever regret that. I was so starstruck. I didn't know what to say to him. And I said, from nowhere, um, he asked me how I was or something. He said, how are you? Or have you had a nice day? And all I said to him was, where's the TARDIS? I just said, where's the TARDIS? And brilliantly, he sort of put his hand to his chin and went, hmm, you know, the old girl broke down on the way here. She's not as reliable as she used to be. The old thing broke down. Luckily, my good friend here, John, you won't know, John, one of Unit's oldest advisors, secret man he is, top notch, need to know, tapped his nose, need to know, came and picked me up. That's where we're going now. I need to fix the, uh, he said something like, I need to fix the neutron vision of the something and I'll get the old girl working again. So I'll always say, I've never met John Pertwee, but I've met the third doctor because he was completely in character and he was completely in character for the whole of this. He was just chatting to me as the third doctor. He didn't once say, oh, isn't this fun? Isn't this a funny thing? I'm John Pertwee. I love playing. He was just being the third doctor. He was talking to my mum and dad about aliens. He was talking to my sisters. Have you seen the Daleks? Look how, if you see them, let me know. It was amazing. It's my favourite childhood memory of all time. And eight days later, sadly, he died. That was his last public outing as uh, John oh, Pertwee. Man. And as far as I know, I'm probably wrong about this, but in the context of cons, so to speak, and public events, I was one of the last fans to meet him. What an incredible experience. It was incredible. So, you know, that was a few days later he died because this was in early April and he died late April, early May. Yeah, the TV movie's dedicated Very to him. Very true, yeah. And it, this was only a, a week or two before the TV movie came out because a lot of people were there that day hyping, hyping up the uh, the TV movie. So I, I feel like that's a big, probably a big part of why I like the TV movie because it's from this amazing little part of my childhood where I had this amazing Doctor Who experience of meeting the third Doctor and then gaining a new Doctor altogether. So I thought I'd share that story with you because I feel like it's it's a huge part of context to this, to, to me loving this, uh, this episode. Sam, what a beautiful story and what a perfect place to end this on a high. Yeah, definitely. Well, if you want a real high, I'll add you with this one last little snippet of, uh, just to add on this lovely summer of 1996, the Doctor was coming home. When I just thought that things couldn't get better, I'm a very lucky little shit. Uh, all my childhood wasn't this exciting, I will add, but but Doctor Who related, it was great. It was um, at the time they were there was a big marketing campaign that do you remember the video went on sale the same day the TV 
Yeah, I know people who queued up at midnight together. That's right. And they were available in Tesco's and places like that. And my mum had a friend who worked in, I think it was MVC. Do you remember MVC? I do. And they had this brilliant display in there, which was about four foot five TARDIS, cardboard cutout TARDIS. And the windows kind of pushed in and you could put, they displayed the videos in there. My mum's friend who worked there said, I'll take what? We've got this brilliant display that Sam would love. It's like a four foot five TARDIS and the doors kind of open and you put videos in them and my mum went oh that sounds amazing what do they do with them when they chuck them out she goes oh we're just going to chuck it away when it's done she went you couldn't keep it for Sam could you cut long story short the Saturday after the TV movie I woke up in the morning my dad knocked on my door I opened the door to see a four foot five TARDIS oh that is incredible and I've still got this TARDIS as well it's still in my mum and dad's loft sadly it's been a bit battered and bruised because the second I got it I me and my friends were playing in it going in and out of it and and all sorts but yeah it amazing absolutely brilliant and that is where we're going to end it today folks Sam thank you so much for coming on Sam is a stand-up comedian so Sam why don't you just tell people where they can see oh, thank it. god I thought you were going to say Sam why don't you tell them a joke on 22nd of June I am hosting an event we are cult live in Bristol where we're going to have the review of death team of Billy Garrett John and Matthew Torfello I'm going to be hosting a live podcast with them we're also going to have Rob Grant oh I'm going to sound awful now for forgetting people's names people who worked on the recent blu-rays um the doctor who blu-ray they're going to be there doing fantastic you're going to be doing talks on the new up and coming series uh i think it's season 10 coming out the john perpy season 10 uh or is it no season eight sorry see it sounds shows what i know good to see you've done <laughs> my research before i came on but that's going to be great other than that um oh god i'm, I'm about i'm about all right well I'm, i'll link to i'll link to your twitter and stuff in the uh, show notes. yeah but thanks for having me on honestly i've really really enjoyed go any chance i've loved chatting to, you. to talk through um the, the tv movie i mean my, my wife gets fed up with me watching uh sorry talking about doctor who but i'll tell you what what's her favorite of everything i've shown her was the tv movie if i was ever in doubt of my marriage i now am confirmed i married the right woman <laughs> uh, but yeah she she really liked it but um honestly it's been so much fun and and what an honor to do the 200th episode of the bad wolf podcast because let's be honest for 200 <laughs> come on martin you could have done better than sam michael could have i could have been on a lot higher numbers now i've got my finger out you know we've been doing this nearly 10 years oh, yeah Oh, great. Yeah, so. I attempted a podcast once and I did three. Still available. Um, <laughs> but yeah, honestly, this is this is really, really good fun. And um, please say hello to your co-hosts. I'm sorry I, I missed them. And keep doing what you're doing because th- this has honestly just been such a lovely chat and it's it's a great opportunity. And I, I don't get to talk much about um, my, my love for Doctor Who. So this has honestly been so much fun to go back over the summer of 1996. Excellent. And I think there's only one theme song to play us out, and that's It's Coming Home. <laughs> we're not creative enough, and we're not positive enough. It's coming home, it's coming home, it's coming, football's coming home. We'll go on getting back, it's on getting back, it's on getting back, it's on getting back. so sure that England's gonna throw it away, gonna blow it away, 